Welcome back to Political Ramble. I got a feeling this is going to be my most controversial political ramble, period. But this is what I created this podcast for, to deliver a, a different type of political truth from my perspective. And also a little bit, let's be honest, this is on Anchor, like I do podcasting. Anchor, Anchor made podcasting easy. I could just do it from my phone and I just call it a day. You know, other podcasts that got all kind of equipment and, <laughs> and mics and stuff like that. But Anchor, I just, I, just, I just flow with it, right? So this is going to be on Marcus Garvey and a truth that blacks in America don't want to accept. So what is that truth? Well, we talk a lot about racism, right? We've experienced it. I mean, there's nothing to talk about. Like, we, I mean, if you're black in America, I mean, racism is not just an American thing, obviously. But I'm going to talk about it from an American standpoint. I actually think America, in certain ways, it might be better than a lot of other countries that get a pass. Right? But that's a whole other story. Now, when you look at, I mean, from the beginning, from, from the beginning, like, see, the thing is, and this is the biggest problem. You have not been told the truth because people don't understand how class works in this society. And I've said it before, class supersedes any racism, any racism. So, so if you're an astute African-American, right, you hear that and you know what they'll come at me with? Well, they'll come at me with a few things. But the first thing they'll come at me is Black Wall Street, right? Black Wall Street, you know? How we had a functioning community that was thriving economically and it got destroyed, right? And it's, 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 you know, and, and it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't Oklahoma, right? And it was thriving and it got destroyed because we know why, because they, because the whites at the time didn't want the competition burnt down. So people say, well, if that's the case, if it was all about money and it's all about class, why did that happen? Well, this is a, this is, you know, you know, the problem is when you're a marginalized group, you don't, you, you are so used to not being in the position of power that you don't understand how power actually works. The way power actually works is no matter how it looks on a superficial level, before you have, before and after you have war, Politics plays a part in war. Handshakes behind the table plays a hand in war. Sometimes before war, sometimes after war. Sometimes the war itself, which is the, the fighting on the battlefield, it's just a superficial, just a show. Honestly, when you look at um, Iraq, right, the Second Iraq War, when we went and took took Saddam, took it easily, took took him easily. We made deals with with the Revolutionary Guard. That's why it happened so easy. You don't think that happened? Yeah, it did. Like, people do not understand how class operates. So just having money by itself. So, okay, first thing is, what's class? Now, the definition you would get is the elites, right? And the definition you would get is probably the elites with education and money. That's what they tell you. That's what the main street believes. Class truly is a network. It's similar to the caste system in India, but a little bit more flexible. It's networks that have, have, that have accumulated not just wealth, but wealth is the, obviously a big part of it for at least four generations. At least. 
some going on eight, nine generations, and information. So while you would have conspiracy people talk about Freemasons and Rosicrucians and all these secret society groups, there is skull and bones, there is some truth to that. Now, I'm not even saying those groups are bad or good. I'm saying there's truth to that. Meaning, you could be a rich person, and you could be a rich person connected. Donald Trump's a rich person. Donald Trump was never in the elite circles. That's why he ran for president. That's why he conducted himself the way he did. We don't understand how class operates as definitely marginal. Marginal groups are not in a position to. And you will have marginal groups who, who individuals from marginal groups, and maybe even little subgroups within them that, that do. Because, for instance, when people quote Black Wall Street, people don't realize there was thriving black neighborhoods. There were like other thriving black neighborhoods that, that didn't get touched. Black Wall Street was the biggest. That got touched. But there was, a, there, was a, there was a few others that didn't get touched. No one tells you that. Right? No one tells you that. So, I mean, let's be honest. Atlanta may not be... I mean, maybe more multicultural than people believe. I think Atlanta is like 60% black. So it's more multicultural than people believe. But if that was the case, and there's a lot of thriving black businesses in Atlanta, they would destroy that. People don't understand how class works. When you, when you have class, and that just means when you're truly elite. I'm not talking about class from a behavioral pattern like the French half where you, you, could, you know what caviar is and you eat quail eggs. I'm not talking about that. I mean, even though that's part of it. But that's a whole other story. But it's when you, are, when, you have, when you accumulate money for a certain period of time, you know how to move in certain circles. And those circles put little things on the table to truly protect themselves. Right? From competition. So... One of the first things that, 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 that so for instance, when you, look at the, when you look at the structure of America, when you say WASP, white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, that is the ultimate symbol of class. That meant people coming from Ireland and Italy and, and Jews were not able to get in. Now, that was relaxed a little bit, but even today, like, so for, but for a good example, even today, you will see Italian, where do you see Italian neighbors and Jewish neighbors mainly? California, cold, in the coastal areas. Why? Yes, you can have individual Italian who just, who's Caucasian now. They just slip in and marry somebody who's not Italian, and boom, it's done. But in terms of as groups, where do you see them at? The coastal areas. You see them in Chicago, too. I'll give you that. But for the most part, you don't see them in Deep South, right? As communities. And if you do, they have much less power. Because white Anglo-Saxon Protestant was the thing. It's the thing that still holds up today. And Italians and, 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 and Irish Jews actually could, could probably penetrate that, but they choose to stay. They choose not to. Jewish groups are astute enough to understand how the real power structure of America operates, and they choose not to. But at the same time, understand, understand what I'm saying. Because, because this is something that even black folks don't understand, and I don't expect the non-African-American the non audience to understand what I'm understand this. That's why I'm making the podcast. You could bring up Black Wall Street, but there was, some, there was a certain protocol that wasn't met. Does that mean that on a, on, if, you, if you come from the level of the uninitiated, 
if you're coming from the if you're coming from outside the circle, can you cook? Would you classify that as racism? Of course, it's racism. But there's other things, there's other factors that you're not taking into account. That's the difference, right? So when you look at the mob, you ever notice the mob, right? The mafia, in their prime and definitely now, <laughs> that's for sure, in their prime and definitely now, because they're not they're way past their prime. You see, they should they should shake down poor people, middle class people, even. Rich people who are not connected. There are certain families. There are certain old money. You think the mafiosos would shake down? Nah. They would, get, they would have got wiped out. Understand that. That's why they were sitting there jacking trucks. <laughs> right? They were jacking trucks and getting, you know, the old school mob movies. Getting suits and, you know, food supplies and things like that. Does that sound like someone who's running shit? No. They weren't. They're running shit to the to to the to the the lower middle class, and like I said, to the newly wealthy people who might have money for one or two generations. So, that, so then it's the same thing. When you're black, coming out of slavery, just get some money, you build your own city. <laughs> There's certain protocols that's not met. That's just the reality of things. Now. I, I went on that tangent because I understood that some people will bring up Black Wall Street, so I just wanted to get them to understand. I got that covered, right? Class has a lot more to do with it than you think it does. And yes, racism is, racism is part of... How does class work? Class works because, it, it, because you need to distract the population from seeing the real problem. So there's no question racism exists. There's no question racism is a serious problem. Outside of, I, I would still say climate change is the biggest problem, whether people want to accept it or not. That's number one. But outside of climate change, I'm, I'm not counting class, right? Because I don't expect the average person to actually get class. I think if you listen to political podcasts, you're a little bit more astute than a person who's listening to, whatever, I don't freaking know, a, a podcast talking about what's Adriana Grande doing. No disrespect, I listen to those podcasts too. I'm just saying. If you're a political junkie, a political geek, you got a little more sense. Now, when you look at it from that angle, right? And this is important to understand. When you're talking about black people in America, understand, they were taken from Africa. We got that. What people don't really get, and this is the biggest thing, they didn't take them directly. They usually... There was five, there was, what is, what is it, four major slave places in this part of the world. Brazil, Jamaica, Hispaniola, which Hispaniola is Haiti, Dominican Republic, and uh, Cuba, right? And so they normally, the, the, the British had Jamaica, the Portuguese had Brazil, the Spanish had Hispaniola, half of Hispaniola, the French had the other half of Hispaniola, and then the Spanish also had, had Cuba. And so... From those places, so if you were going to other parts of Latin America, let's say you're going to Puerto Rico, they'll put you in Cuba first and then ship you to Puerto Rico. But this is, this is what they did. And this is what I'm talking about from America. Let's say from the American standpoint, because I, I, I'm not sure about the Spanish and the Portuguese. But America did this. Because they didn't get them directly. They used to go and get them, buy them from Cuba, buy them from Hispaniola, bring them to Florida. Right? There was a few slaves that were brought here directly, but this is how it usually went. They got them through Florida, through, from Cuba, Hispaniola. A few from Jamaica as well. 
because, you know, the British had Jamaica, but remember, eventually America broke off from that, so America ended up being its own country, right? So what happens? Well, they didn't just, they didn't just buy them. They literally wanted Creole-type slaves. Not the Creoles the way this used in Louisiana, which you talk about the French population that was mixed with the African population. No, no, no. They wanted Creole slaves, meaning slaves that were not as African. It's just real talk. So normally, you would, it's like how we do dogs. You know how we got small dogs, right? We got small dogs by breeding sick dogs. We created a whole new species. They literally got sometimes second generation, but definitely third or fourth generation slaves, right? Brought them to Florida, to the Carolinas, and dispersed them throughout the country. So what, what I, bring up, I bring up for what point? They literally took their language, took their spiritual system, took their identity, took their drums, because the drums survived in Cuba, in Brazil, in Jamaica, in Hispaniola. But the slaves here didn't have that. They took all of everything from them. They literally bred a new type of being, basically, like dogs. Right? Then after they did that, they put them through all kind of torture. All kind of torture. And the British and Spanish were doing that in other colonies too. But I'm talking about America. Put them through all kind of torture. And then what happened? Eventually when that was ended, they didn't, they didn't come and say, well, okay, like you're talking about a slave. You're not talking about, and then you have people who would compare an immigrant coming from another country to a slave. Listen, if you're an immigrant coming from Europe, Asia, right? Middle East. You have your identity. You have your name. You have a country. So there's certain things you kind of know already, right? Think of somebody who's like, think of your dog. If you had a pet and you tell, go live in your own. Get out of here. Go live in your own. Do you know much things they have to learn now? Right? Do you understand what that means? Do you understand that when you took away their culture, what did you say? You, your culture is backward anyway. When you took away their indigenous religion, whether it's voodoo, whether it's whatever, Yoruba, whatever, their indigenous religions are, Adonai, whatever, right? When you took away all those things, Obia, you literally took those away and said, you have to be Christian now. So you control the identity. You control even the fact that when that person is, is growing up in this, they say, I'm praying to God and God didn't answer my prayers. Do you understand what the psychological damage that is to a, to a being? And then you tell them, get over it. Then you even did not, you even, because this is not normal. You were doing slave stuff in ways, it wasn't just, you were raping children. You were raping men, raping women. Some slaves would just, some, some masters would just beat their slaves and cut their, mutilate them for, mutilate them for no reason. Just to do it because it's, it's their property. And then after all that, you let them out and say, well, now you're in part of society. But then, no, you say, no, you're not. And I want to see any conservative tell me that right before slavery, right after slavery, we had the harshest laws we've ever seen. Right? Segregated. Segregation. Then after you do that, yeah, you blow up the biggest symbol, Black Wall Street, blow that up. What do you think that does to somebody psycho psychologically? Then you come and say, well, you're too violent anyway. Well, you take away everything they have. What do you think they're going to be? And now here's the problem. And I bring up Marcus Garvey for this reason. 
Marcus Garvey. So, some of my audience may not know who Marcus Garvey is, right? And so, you know, when you, when you, whenever you hear about black leaders, you tend to hear Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, right? Ask any Pan-African worth their grain of salt who the greatest black nationalist was. Most of the time, they'll say Garvey. Why? What did Garvey do? Well, Garvey was born in Jamaica in, like, in 1887. And he basically said, looked at the world and said, look, you can't expect white people in America to, give, to help you get out the condition that they created you in. When if they do that, they will lose power within themselves in their own right. right? They, it's almost like if I give you food, I got to take away food from my kids. The system itself was built on your blood. The system itself was built on native blood, on indigenous blood. You can't, we can't erase that. So it's always going to be perceived, if I help you, I'm taking away food from my own kids. That can't be tolerated. So he said, all right, and, and, he, and, and then his story has been repackaged because then it comes off as, Oh, he said all black people should go to Africa. He actually did not say that. He actually said the best of us should go to Africa and build it up the way the Jews built up Israel. And you have that superpower. When you have that, that power, people will look at you differently. And when he did that, the white establishment here didn't like it. And they... Got their allies, again, this is how class comes in, and the black bourgeoisie groups, particularly W. Boyd, to, you know, neutralize Garvey, to get that message stuffed. And I bring up that message, not because I actually think, first of all, it, it, the message is cloudy because he didn't say all black, he said the best of us. And I, I bring it up to say, I'm not telling people to do that now. I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm bringing that up so people understand when you look at the structural problem, it came to something that extreme that some of the, the best of us had to come up with. Because, and that was, he was born in 1887. You, you talk about the 1920s and 30s. That's actually when the system could have been reformed. Remember, the American based system at one time when it was dominant, right after World War II. We were a manufacturing hub. Right now, our economy is a war-based economy. We were a manufacturing economy after World War II. That's when we were at our peak. You can literally say the American peak, where we were totally untouchable. 19, and I'm not talking about, nah, I'm not talking about race. I'm talking about economics. From, from the 40s to the first Iraq war. That's the peak. That's when our economy was the most diverse. You understand that we manufactured so little things that when it came to the coronavirus and we couldn't manufacture a mask, we couldn't manufacture a mask because we're just not that. That's not how our economy works. So when we go to war, usually our economy is stagnant. We got to jump started. Whether it's Afghanistan, the second Iraq war, when we tried in Somalia, who, I mean... That's how it operates. That's why we were flirting with Iran, but then we started saying, damn, Iran ain't Iraq. We run out of, we, we run out of places to fight. 
because we're still the most powerful country, but we got to pick a country that has no chance of winning, which no country does, but we're smart enough to know you can't even, you got to get used to people, you got to blow people out, like how the dream team in basketball used to do. The, the dream team first came out, they're blowing the people out by 50, 60 points. Dream team two, it was down to 20 points. Dream team three, they had one or two, they had one or two tough fights, tough games against, I don't know who, I forgot who it was, I think it was Lithuania, Croatia, one of those countries, right? Now, we don't even know we're going to win anymore. With pros. <laughs> That's how we are right now as America, as a country. So, I say this to say, we have done things too late in this country. We ignore stuff. We ignore stuff. So we, 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 we literally think, if you look at most other races, nationalities, right, not going to count Hispanics because they're indirectly affected by the slave trade and the indigenous genocides that's happened too. So they, they're in a similar boat. We look at, we look at people from the Middle East, the Jews, white immigrants from Eastern Europe, Western Europe. They have their identity, right? Their name, their language, their religion. Don't ever confuse that, especially for African-Americans listening to this podcast. Your religion, your spiritual system, that's always been part of us. Even when you see Ethiopians as Christians, Islam is different in Africa. Christianity is different in Africa. And I'm not even talking about Islam and Christianity. I'm talking about African traditional religions. Sangoma, Vudun. When those are taken away from you, that's a blow to your psychology because you already go in the game thinking you're inferior. Do you understand? You really do, and that's not counting. I mean, one, one out of every three African Americans has been incarcerated. You, we all know how it is to get jobs when you when you have when when you've been in jail. We basically, you come in and you're ready at a major disadvantage. And instead of the group, and this is the problem, the establishment has this moral code where they talk about thugs. And they talk about all this stuff and crime, and yet they pillage other nations. And this is not an anti-American rant, because I think this is, that's the way of the world. You give a person power, that's what they do. So, I bring that up to say, when you're asking that system to change at this day, at this day and time, 2020... When I, I think chaos is going to be the new normal. It's impossible for them to change at the level that you want them to. You're asking them to change structurally through all 50 states. Right? That's not going to happen. How do we, how do, we do it in a real capitalist, a real capitalist system? Look, we got drugs, Right? And there's some people, in a sense, where you come in and there's some states now that have decriminalized marijuana, right? And they decriminalized it. So now, California, Colorado, you can buy weed, right? Medicinally, some recreationally, right? What happens? Well, in some ways, I mean, the states that have to compete... What happens? They're like, well, maybe we should make this legal because these, these other states have a whole other income that we don't have. 
guess what? That stuff like that might have to take place here. Axing the system in 2020 where we're going to have organized chaos from this point in time, from this, from this time on. Because I don't think people understand. When you elect Donald Trump, whether I don't even know, I don't even get into Trump is the boogeyman. But when you do certain things, when you, de- when you disgrace the office the way you do, People never could look at the president with respect that, that they used to in 1945 and our peak. So when I bring up Garvey, that's not from African Americans to say, oh, it's a massive amount of black people should go back to Africa. That was from the standpoint, I'm bringing up to, for you to understand the point where the best of us at the time understood that if you want somebody to respect you, you have to acquire your own power, your own turf, your own territory. And when you deal with him, you deal with him as a partner. If I'm a Chinese businessman, I'm a billionaire, and I'm living in China, and I come and say, I want to live in the morning, I wouldn't move to America. I could always move back home. That's the difference. So when, you, when, so when, you, when you're dealing with them, you're not as desperate. At the end of the day, it perplexes me how I think Americans don't really realize that, look, man, when, you let, when, when somebody take away everything from you, and, you, and they took it away so long ago that you actually think that's your identity. Right? That's what you actually think. That's your identity. Then you come in and then you're already, you're already at a major disadvantage because then when, when, because for years that's what used to happen, they control the narrative. So when they go out of the country, when, when they project the image of blacks globally, they're, they're, looking at, they're, they're using hip-hop. They're using certain things to say, look at these thugs. Don't let them in your country. So not only can they leech off you for the prison labor, because like you said, like, like pe- many people have said, there's more prisoners, there's more African-American prisoners than were slaves. Understand that when we talk, they literally understand that quote. There's more black males in prisons. I can't say black people. I should say black males. I'm sorry. There's more black males in prison than there were black slaves in America. Because don't believe the hype. Actually, the majority of slaves were in, the, were in the territories I just said, South America, the Caribbean, to be honest. So, that tells you a lot. That tells you that even when the, uh, when the world, when you could look at the illusion of change, right? You, you could say the world is changing. The world hasn't changed. And that's what you haven't realized. And, and, you got, and, and in a sense, it doesn't mean it can't change. In a sense, it doesn't mean that you should hate America. America still is the best chance you have to achieve the life you want as a black person. Even if you decide to move to another country. I mean, there's, Ghana has opened up themselves years ago. And, there, and there's, there's African-Americans who go back to Ghana even as we speak. That, that happened way before, that's been happening way before this. But even if that's the case, you're still using the, the economic options from this country to make your new home better. That still sounds like a great country to me. Some countries you only have that option. As much as we could talk about the, we could talk about the flag and we could talk about you know kneeling and you if you want to burn your flag, you're in a country that you can burn your flag. You could burn the flag if you want to. You go to some country you can't do that. 
And I don't say that as a person just saying it. I've, I've been, a, <laughs> been to almost every continent. Literally. <laughs> the only one I haven't been to is Antarctica. That's it. I've been to Oceania too. That's a continent. Been every continent. Get that through your head. So I don't just say that as a person who just, who just says it because it's a catchphrase. No. You go to many countries, you can't do that. So even as messed up as this country is, there's still far more good than bad. But the bad has still not went away because we, even as African Americans, as black folks, haven't looked to the reality and seen it for what it truly is. Even when a white liberal comes to try to help you and says, I'm, I'm down for the cause. This is what I always tell people. I'm a Caribbean American, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Caribbean. I'm, my, my parents are immigrants from the Caribbean and to some extent South America, right? Came to this country. But I'm a different type of island boy than others. My religious practice is African spirituality. I don't hide that from anybody. If you don't ask me, I don't tell you. If I see a chicken head, amen. Sacrifice is part of what we do. That may be too real for some people. But guess what? When people see me on social media, when people see me in my everyday life, I don't seem angry to people. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to be one of those white people say, I have white friends. Like how white people say, we're black people. <laughs> I have black friends. I'm not going to say, I don't want to sound like that, but it's the truth. If you look at the average person looks at me in social media, they would actually say, I'm Cyrus King is pretty friendly to everybody, all races. Why? It's not all for my, it's not all for my spirituality. It's not all from relearning elements of my language. When I pray, in, I pray in our African dialect. It's part of that. It's part of it. But it's a big part. It's not all. Some of it we have to take on individually. Maybe that's, my, that's my, how my energy is individually. But at the same time, that is a part of it. That builds up your self-esteem. Going back to Africa. I've been to 10 countries in Africa. Builds back your self-esteem. Understanding that we're all people at the end of the day. But when you mentally have been smashed for hundreds of years and no one has helped build that up psychologically, we can have Alcoholics Anonymous. We can have sex, we can have sex reform, right? Sex Anonymous, right? You could be a sex addict. You could be almost anything. And you could be a handicapped person. They have a handicapped spot. We can have all that. And after 500 years of being kicked in our ass as slaves, then on top of that, then on top of that, right? Afterwards, the first 50, 60 years, you, you were totally segregated. And then in the, in the year 2020, when there's more black males in jail than they were slaves, so there's still a lot of that stuff going on, people deny it. People tell you, get over it. How about this? We get over it. When you pretend to be, when you do what you pretend to be, when you reform the system. Now, I come from the school that said the system can't reform itself. That's partly the reason why I'm, I'm nice to everybody. I'm coming from the standpoint of, look, like you see, when I'm, a, when I'm into small government, that's why, from my perspective, the government is the biggest reason why all this stuff has taken place. Sure, corporations are there too, but we have a different corporate structure than we had in 2020 than we had in 1550 or 1650 or 1750. Government 
is closer to what they were back then. So for me, the government is a bigger threat. When the government's a bigger threat, I say, keep it, keep it small. Hence, I'm a centrist that leans more to the right. But I'm not a centrist that, that leans towards the right that I ignore the past of what's happened. In fact, if a, if a, if a, if a conservative, especially in rural areas, heard this video, they would think of me as some black nationalist, most likely. But that's not the case. From the way they understand it, at least, I should say. It's not the case. Because I do think you do have to care about your own. That's, that's just being realistic. So, is there some nationalism in me? Most likely there is, of course. But it's still going to be different than while the, the common narrative black, what is it? The Pan-African or black nationalist narrative is because at the end of the day, I'm also a man of science. And at the end of the day, I understand that race is an illusion. Race is not an illusion. Don't hear this and run with it. Race is not an illusion socially, right? Race is very real socially. Obviously, this is whole 33-minute podcast has been about that. But scientifically, race is an illusion. There's not enough genetic diversity amongst you for humans for us to be categorized as a separate race. See, I understand that. And the problem for me when it comes to, there has to be, and I don't just say, I'm not talking about forgiveness, but as black folk, we have to understand that we have been reactionary for four or 500 years. So when you're reactionary for four or 500 years, hundreds of years, it interrupts how you process information. That's the difference, right? It interrupts that. And when it interrupts how you process information, that makes it very difficult then because what eventually happens is in some ways you don't really realize that the way you're responding is probably not how you should be responding. So there's peaceful protests and there's riots and there's looting, right? And the way you do it may not be, how, the way you're doing it may not be how you would do it under normal circumstances. But when you've been reacting all your life, you, you, you basically inherited that in your DNA. And then in your everyday life, because any black person knows that. I mean, I was working on Wall Street. And I, I, mean, I, I mean, I literally, at first, you get me like 13, 14 years of my life. I, I mean, I grew up in a black neighborhood, which, I mean, there was a neighborhood that was half black, half Hispanic, right? I mean, I would see white people, Caucasians, but... My father worked on Wall Street, so I, I, I would go to their house. Like, you know, you go to their house in Jersey and Connecticut, come back to the hood and come back to the Bronx, right? You ask that SK from like 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, I knew I was still different, but I, I didn't think it was that bad until I actually was started working on Wall Street summer internship. And I started seeing, whoa. And I started becoming a man. Like when I started to be 15, 16, and I started having, I started, I mean, there was a time, and I wasn't, not going to lie, I mean, there was, I was doing certain stuff I wasn't supposed to, but from 16 to 24, I've had brutal confrontations with the cops. I've, I've been, I've literally been taking the civil court, I've already had civil cases with the cops, two of them, from that time period, right? But as I got older, I experienced that. And so, what I'm telling you is, at times, when you experience things you still have to be able to 
if you want to win the battle, not let it go like how people think, let it go, forgive, and then forget it happened. No, you never forget, but you forgive. And that's not me on some hippie stuff. That's me because that stress or that tension, because human beings are animals at the end of the day. We are. And we forget that, right? And when, you have, when you're a hyena and you are, how would I put this? When you're a hyena and you are being chased by a lion, by a predator, if you escape, 10, 15 minutes later, you're not thinking about it anymore. That's for the lease in your body. Your, your blood chemistry is still normalized. When you're constantly in a reactive state, your brain and blood chemistry is vastly different. That's just the reality of it. And I don't think, and I think one thing black folks don't realize is there are people on the right who rightfully so have said, and it's true, movements have been hijacked. I brought up Marcus Garvey because Marcus Garvey was an authentic movement. Black Lives Matter, and this is another. This is a whole. This is a, this is a subject for another conversation. And I don't really. This podcast is still going to be talking more about politics than this topic per se. So I don't want to harp on this too much. But Black Lives Matter was not an authentic, organically grown black movement. It wasn't. It was funded by others. That's just the reality of it. And this is what happens when. You've been reacting for so long, you don't realize that the, the system is smart enough to be able to hijack movements. Is there a problem that we need real feminists? Yeah, we need real feminists. Yeah, women, have, women of all races, including white women, have life harder than males. Now, are there feminist groups that have been hijacked by the elites? you goddamn right they are. Are there civil rights groups that have been hijacked by the elites? you goddamn right they are. Is immigrant rights important? Of course it is. Has that narrative been hijacked by the elites? Of course it has. So when you're reacting, you don't see that. And so when it's somebody from the right, now don't get me wrong, some people, most people from the right, when they say it, they don't care, they're doing it for selfish reasons. But on the right, because they deal with limited government, they understand how, government, how dangerous government is. They understand that the elites, and don't get me wrong, the people on the traditional right, they would hate government, but they love corporation. That's, no. <laughs> it's still elite. In fact, the corporations are more elite than the government. The only difference is corporations and governments are almost the same thing at this point. They're basically the same thing. So that's why the right is poisoned, because they would throw their, their, their venom at government, but not their venom at corporations. The, the left is the opposite. They would throw their venom at corporations, but not their venom at government. Both sides have to realize that both sides have more in common with each other, right and left, than, than, they don't, than they have uncommon, especially internationally. Domestically, they may just have, because I say internationally because both sides seem to be pro, I mean anti-war at this point. And I think in many ways, this type of, this type of subject has to be spoken about, especially in the black community. And I don't think it is going to. Because it's like you get a small dog. A small dog sometimes forgets it's not a big dog. In the black community, they have, we, we have allowed ourselves to be, our identity to be created 
And in some ways, we didn't create that identity. So because you didn't create that identity, it is very hard for you to see that that construct, just like Black Lives Matter, the intentions are good. The intentions are good. And I say that to say, when I said it was fun of other people, I'm just comparing that to Marcus Garvey. Because even the Black Panthers, and I'm not saying that it's not as wrong to take funds from other people, but, but the Marcus Garvey movement was the maybe the only movement that we have that's 100% us. And it's the only movement that at the time, out of every, every movement that came, was the, was the biggest threat. Africa is the big, is the most is the is the fastest growing economy out of all continents as we speak. American media won't tell you that though. Imagine if African Americans had those ties. Don't forget, we have countries like Liberia that literally former slaves went and formed their own country with yes, America's backing, right? But literally, with Africa is the fastest growing continent economically right now, right? Imagine. From the 30s to now, at the best of black folk who are going there. Again, that would benefit even black folks in America. I'm not saying to go back to anyone to go to live there. But it would, be, would have benefited it because people, when you don't have anywhere to go, or it's perceived like that, people treat you a different way. That's, a, that's just the truth. So the identity... That black folks have, African Americans have for the American, the American system. It's part of the reason why the suppression is taking place because that identity has been constructed. And even if it was constructed and you know that, it's cool. But if, you, but if it's constructed and you don't know that, it's worse. Because that identity is oppression, is mixed and pushed in that. And so, in. In reality, we support what, what Garvey said. The dominant group, you meet somebody from a dominant group who wants to help you authentically, that's really good. But don't expect it. And if you, if you get that, it's only going to be true individually. And so you have to help yourself. You have to build up your own communities. Cops should be from your community. I'm not even saying cops look like you. you from the hood and you got black cops in the suburbs, and that's the same thing. Right? But until you do that, that problem is not going away. And I think that's a dialogue that's too real for most people. But I thought I should just have that because I think that, in fact, I know that it's not being spoken about as much as it should. Cyrus King with Political Ramble. Till next time. Peace.